0: Let's take our Bibles tonight and open to Mark chapter 14. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 14 and we'll begin in verse 32. We'll be comparing uh, with other gospel writers the story tonight, but this passage gives us the account of what took place after the Lord instituted the Lord's Supper with His disciples. Matthew 26.30, often we read that at the end of a communion service. It says, after they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. So this is what took place after the Lord's Supper in that evening. If you walk east from the Temple of Jerusalem, well, from Temple Mount you can't walk east because the eastern gate is sealed up. They don't want Christ to come back. That's not going to stop him. But you'll cross a small brook called the Kedron And then you'll you'll come to the the base of the Mount of Olives. In Michigan, we would compare it to more of a hill. It's not a a craggy type of a mountain that you would climb with ropes and gear, but just a slope. And on that lower slope, there's a garden called Gethsemane. Some of the olives there, uh, the olive trees there, are said to be almost 1,000 years old. Some have differing opinions on that. Carbon dating says 900 years. They're very old. It's difficult to tell. They don't uh, Olive trees, I don't believe, have rings. Uh, the, the name Gethsemane means olive press. And as we read Mark's account here in chapter 14, we'll not see this garden as a place where olives are being squeezed so their useful oil can be, can be gleaned. The pressure we witness in this passage tonight is the crushing weight of the sins of mankind on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in prayer in this garden. Judas had been excused from the table earlier that night, and Jesus said, What thou doest, do quickly. The betrayal was underway. And he'll find Jesus and his disciples here in this garden because that's where they often met. John 18, verse 2 says, And Judas also which betrayed him knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. The title of the message tonight, God's Will at Gethsemane. We'll see different aspects of, of what God was planning through eternity and how Christ surrendered to that will and how the disciples resisted that will and yet how it came to pass. In Mark chapter 14, We'll begin in verse 32, in this first section, 32 to 36, we'll see God's will accepted. And they came to a place which was called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began to be sore amazed, and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And those words at the end of verse 36 express the Savior's full surrender to the Father. As you consider this prayer, have you come to that place, a place of full surrender in your own heart, where you can honestly say, Lord, my will doesn't matter anymore. Whatever you want, whatever is your will, that's what I want. Not my will, but thine Before Judas and the soldiers came, Jesus asked the disciples to watch with him as he went, the Bible says, about a stone's throw further and prayed to his Father in heaven. And as we watch this scene and see the Son of God pouring out his heart in surrender to the Father's will, I hope it will cause us to come to a place in our own lives where we would do the same. Jesus accepted God's will in spite of the distress of physical suffering. Verse 33 says that Jesus began to be sore amazed. Began to be sore amazed. This, this feeling of strong emotion swept over him. And the, the wording there in the verb tense means that it, it started and it increased. It swept over him as he walked into the garden. What kind of emotion? Hebert says that the word sore amazed means that Jesus experienced terrified surprise. You think about that. God in the flesh. How could this be? How can God be surprised about anything? He knows everything. This phrase reminds us that even though Christ was 100% God, he was also 100% man. He is the God-man. And as man, he was overwhelmed with the same feelings of anticipation of pain, of death that you and I would have. But here, it's the anticipation, not just of pain and death, but on taking the sins of the world upon himself, the sinless Son of God. Verse 33 also says, Jesus began to be very heavy. So besides this terrified surprise, which is difficult for us to understand, he he is extremely distressed, is what very heavy means. Verse 34, he said to his disciples, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22 and verse 44, it says, and being in agony, and he has that same, that same verb tense of being. He's, he's, this is overwhelming him. He's, he, he prayed more earnestly, and, and John says his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So uh, becoming in agony. Again, this, this emotion building in his, in his heart. He sweat drops of blood, as it were. Some commentaries say that the sweat flowed as, as freely as blood. Others give a medical explanation to describe how actual blood escaped through the capillaries, the pores of his skin. The physical pain and suffering did not keep Jesus from doing the Father's will. Have you bowed to the Father's will, even though it might mean that you will experience pain? That you will face suffering. Jesus, secondly, accepted the will of the Father in spite of the disappointment of loneliness. Notice in verse 32, he left the eight disciples and he told them to sit here while I pray. And then he took those three in the inner circle with him to another spot to keep watch, it says. Luke 22.4 says that it was a stone's throw. That would be just as tossing a stone, maybe 20 or or 30 feet. Peter, James, and John were considered to be those three closest to Christ in the inner circle. They were at the house of Jairus when the child was raised from the dead in Mark 5. In, In Matthew, they were there at the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. And now here they are at the garden. And Jesus prayed, he went further than those three and prayed alone in the garden. Have you come to a place where you're willing to to sever ties if you need to from those whom you are are your friends? To be with Christ, to be doing the will of the Father, to obey him. He accepted the will of the Father in spite of the disappointment of loneliness. Third, he accepted God's will even though it was... Difficult to surrender. Watch how he asks in prayer. He makes this request and then he resigns to the will of God. His prayer, what did he say? It starts with his address to his father, Abba, a common name used by children. Some say Jesus would never use that terminology in talking toward to to God. It's too familiar. Yet it shows. The intimate family relationship, if we can say it that way, between God and his only begotten son. And again, we, we, we're we on the verge of of the, the Godhead, and it's difficult for us to understand. Jesus said, I and my father are one. And yet he's calling him this, this close term of endearment, Abba. His affirmation of God's power, he says, all things are possible unto thee. That's a great place to start all of our prayers, isn't it? Lord, you can do anything. You're omnipotent. All things are possible unto thee. You can do whatever you please. And then he makes this request. Take this cup from me. He prayed in verse 35 that the hour might pass. He was referring to all, all the events leading up and including to his crucifixion at Calvary. In John 18, 11, we read then said Jesus unto Peter put up thy sword into the sheath the cup which my father hath given me shall I not drink it He spoke of the of the cup then as a future event shall I not drink it It was the cup of suffering people have tried to identify what is he talking about about this cup a cup of suffering a cup of God's wrath some people say a cup that contained all the sins of mankind, represented that way. The cup of death, it could be. I think we, we get the truth of what that was in all of those explanations. Jerry Vines writes, in the Bible, drinking from a cup is a symbolic way of saying you're going to experience something to the fullest. And he took all of our sins, he took all of the experience of, of death, all of the suffering, all of God's wrath. Hebert says, it was the recoil of his holy nature against taking upon himself human sin and corruption that produced his agony and caused him to petition the Father to remove this cup. But then you'll see, as he ends his prayer, this sweet submission to the Father's will, asking if it's possible, and yet he answers, nevertheless, Not what I will, but what thou wilt. And so he drank of the cup. He suffered for our sins. That was the reason that his soul was exceeding sorrowful unto death. And so the question, as we consider our own submission to the Father's will, have have we struggled through what it means to put our plans aside And say, Lord, it doesn't matter what I want to do in my life. All that matters is your will. Christ accepted the Father's will. The distress of physical suffering, the disappointment of loneliness, the difficulty of surrender, all these were very real. They had to be considered. But Jesus didn't let them keep him from accomplishing his Father's will. Let's move now to verses 37 through 42 and we'll see God's will avoided. Here we see the disciples. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst thou not watch one hour? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. And that's our key phrase in this section, asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh a third time and saith unto them, sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough, the hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. The disciples fell asleep. Lest we are too harsh with them, we can look back and see what the next day held. They didn't. And I wonder if people 100 years from now will look back at our situation and whatever we're facing and the stand that we need to take and the apathy we need to set aside and say, couldn't you have stayed awake for that? The disciples fell asleep. I see here a lazy indifference. They they chose rest instead of watchfulness, instead of duty. Jesus spoke first to Peter, verse thirty seven. He saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou. Then in verse thirty eight he addresses all the rest of the disciples. He uses the, the plural, the word ye there, so he's he's talking to all of them. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. But Peter, at the first, was singled out from the other disciples. He was the one who said, I'll never deny Christ. Notice that Jesus uses his former name, Simon. The Edmund Hebert writes, The use of his old name here apparently was indeed intended to remind Peter that he was not living up to his new name. Back to Simon again. How often does the Lord look at us and say, oh, you're acting like you did before you met me. There's a spiritual battle going on. The spirit was willing. E- the word willing means eager, ready. But the flesh was weak. And we often say that, don't we? I just couldn't stay awake. Later, Peter will write in 1 Peter 4, 7, if the end of all things is at hand, be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer I wonder as he penned those words if he was thinking back to that night at Gethsemane. He learned his lesson, and he wanted others to be watchful as well. The disciples fell asleep, lazy indifference. Peter was angry. Here we see impetuous courage, verse 47. He chose action instead of trust. John 18.10 says that it was Peter who cut off the ear of a man named Malchus. Jesus didn't need Peter's help to avoid being taken by these soldiers. You have several indications. Matthew 26, 53 tells us that Christ responded, could I not have called 12 legions of angels? Legion. A legion in the Roman army was about 6,000 men. So 12 legions would be 72,000 angels. He could have just called 72,000 angels and and, and it wouldn't have happened. They would have come to his defense. John 18.6 says that the soldiers fell backwards at his words. He could have held them there, still away from him. It says, as soon as, uh, we read in, in John, as soon then as he had said unto them, I am he. that he is in italics. He's giving that I am name of Christ. I am. They went backward and fell to the ground. I was in the garden. At other times, he had escaped their their attempted arrest. John 10, 39. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. He willingly gave himself to be crucified for us. The disciples were afraid. Here we see overwhelming fear, verse 50. They chose fear instead of loyalty. They all forsook him and fled. The word all here is is at the end of the the sentence in the original language. And it's there for for emphasis. We could read it this way in verse 50. They forsook him and fled all. What keeps you from doing God's will? Are you sometimes like the disciples? Lazy indifference? I know the Bible says that I ought to be a witness to everyone, but... You know, I've talked to that person, and I'm just getting tired of talking to them. Don't choose rest instead of duty. What about impetuous courage? You know, I know what would work best here. I don't need to wait on the Lord. I'm going to do something. And we, like Peter, rely on action instead of trust. Or is it overwhelming fear? I could never go to the mission field. I could never stand up in front of someone and give a testimony of Christ. I'm just too shy. I'm afraid to speak up. Are you avoiding God's will for any of these reasons or for any other reason? God's will accepted, God's will avoided. And now let's look at verses 43 through 50 and see God's will accomplished. And the key there is in verse 49. The key phrase, the scripture must be fulfilled. And immediately, while he yet spake, cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude, with swords and staves, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely." And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to him and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote a servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple, teaching you, and you took me not. But the scripture must be fulfilled. And they all forsook him and fled. Look at the people in these, in these few verses that we've looked at tonight. Each person is acting on their own impulse. They're acting on their own, it's, it looks like, their own agenda. Look at Judas. Jesus said in verse 41, Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. He was in the company of sinners. I find it interesting that Jesus calls him friend. Wherefore art thou come? His plans were premeditated. He he had planned this from the night before. His deception, his action, is, is a kiss. His deception is also seen In two words, one word repeated, rabbi, rabboni, which is master, my master. We also see in this section the multitudes. Verse 43 talked about a great multitudes with swords and staves from the chief priests, scribes, and elders. The weapons that are mentioned in verse 43 give us an indication of who was there. The word for swords there are are small swords, they're the weapons of the Roman soldier. It's an 18-inch sword, a dagger. It's called the gladius. They also had staves. That would not be the Roman soldiers. Those would be the temple police, the Sanhedrin. Wooden clubs. That's what they regularly carried in the temple. The wording in verse 43 tells us who was there specifically. The Jews, the Sanhedrin, made up of chief priests and scribes and elders. And then the Roman soldiers were there. So we have the religious crowd who's against Christ and the military of Rome. Soldiers under a commanding officer. And then we have that name of the servant of the high priest, according to John in John 18.10, whose name is Malchus. Those are the people that are there in the garden. Watch what takes place. We, we already talked about the kiss of betrayal There's also the power of Christ's word, which we mentioned when he said, I am, and the the soldiers fell back. And then there's the capture. Verse 46 says, and they laid their hands on him and took him. There's also this defense that we mentioned by Peter, defending the Lord but missing his mark with the sword. He was a fisherman, not a a soldier. And Mark 14.47 says that uh, one of them that stood by drew a sword and smote the, the servant of the high priest's ear and, and cut off his ear. And, and we know that Jesus picked it up and put it back on Malchus's head. And I can imagine the rest of his life as he feels that ear, it was gone and that was restored. But those are, those are the activities. Listen to the questions that Jesus asks. Am I a, am I a lawbreaker or a teacher? Verses 48 and 49. Let me reread that. Jesus said, Are you come out against me as a thief with swords and staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Let's think of that phrase again. These these are not just chance coincidental events on a calendar that that are regulated by the, the whims of the people that are there by chance or by choice. Every detail in this evening are, are orchestrated by the divine hand of God. The scriptures must be fulfilled. Judas' betrayal had been prophesied. Hundreds of years earlier, the, Psalm wrote, the psalmist wrote in Psalm one nine, Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Hours earlier in Mark chapter 14 verse 18, when they sat to eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. And now in Mark 14:42, rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. The scriptures were fulfilled in Judas. The disciples forsaking him was also foretold. Let's go back hundreds of years. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's what they did. They forsook him. They fled. Hours earlier in Mark 14, 27, Jesus said, All of you shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. And that's what happened. Mark chapter 14, verse 50. They all forsook him and fled. When you think of the prophecies of Scripture, it's an amazing study. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament relative to the person and work of Christ. Let me refer refer to one that deals specifically with the submission of Christ to the will of his Father. That's what we've been talking about tonight. In Psalm, the 40th Psalm, verses 6 through 8, here is, here is something that relates to the Messiah. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. The New Testament rendering of that is a body thou hast prepared for me. So he has he he prepared a, a, a body for Christ to inhabit, the Incarnation. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And Jesus said, I want to do your will, Father. In Hebrews ten seven. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Here's a quote from Psalm. To do thy will, O God. Christ submitted to the will of the Father. God's will was accomplished that night in Gethsemane. There were no accidents. This was God's will. And so was the cross. Purposeful, planned from eternity. The only way that our sins could be forgiven. What an amazing plan! I'm so glad that Jesus submitted to the will of his Father, aren't you? And if we're going to be like him, we have to get to a place where we will pray that prayer, not my will, but thine. I want to surrender everything, lay aside my plans, whatever they might be, and say, Lord, what do you want from my life? Let's bow for prayer father in heaven we are so thankful for what jesus did for us and as we enter into this commemoration of that death on calvary i pray that our hearts would be drawn into a greater appreciation and love for the one who gave himself for us and help us to have a love for others and i pray that if there's anyone here who's going their own way, unwilling to surrender their their will totally to yours, that through the example of Christ tonight, we would see what great things can be accomplished only when we submit to your will. I pray that you would help us to do that. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.